0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend the Chavrita, your Dana Azband. our DAF of the day, Masachet Yevamot, DAF Mem Tet, page 49. We have a new Mishnah here, and we're going to go back to talking about Mamzerim. Um, it actually is one of those Mishnahs that perhaps gives us some of the background information that we might have wanted when we first started talking about Mamzerim. Ezuhu Mamzer, who is a Mamzer, meaning who has the status. That we call mamzer. So, Rabbi Akiva says that anybody who is the progeny of a union of the any couple that has the status of loyavo, meaning where there's a negative Torah commandment that these two people may not have sexual relations, it is prohibited for them to do so. Any progeny from any of those cases, according to Rabbi Kiva, that's who we call mamzer omer So Shimon Timani limits the Rabbi Akiva's statement a little bit. He says any of any of those unions, right, that have upon themselves the decree of karit Shamayim it's um you know being cut off. However, we're going to translate karate, that's it's not it doesn't require a baiting, a court to adjudicate that karate is going to be applied, right? Any number of these cases might be. You know, impossible to to bring about a, a court judgment because I don't know privacy or whatever, right? But um, the idea that karet bidei shemayim isn't is where we say we're going to draw that line. That's who's got a, who's the mom's there. It specifically leaves out the case the Rabbi Kiva includes of the progeny of a of a nida, uh, one a menstruate woman and uh and a man, meaning she where she has not yet become. Tahor, after menstruation. We'll come back to that at some point. The halacha is like Rabbi Yeshua Omer and Rabbi Yeshua Omer his position was even more stringent and in stringent here. I mean limiting. He was the one who said um, any who's who any whose union whose the progeny of a union that would have required the mitat beitin um, a death sentence by a court, which is, I would say, again, a harsher and more limiting position than that of Rabbi Shimon, Shimon HaTemani, who's talking about uh Pide Ben So this is really interesting that it's in a Mishnah at all. Um, it's in a Mishnah because I assume because it's Tanayim who are dealing with it, right? There wasn't a Gemara to put it into, but the the discussion here is he found this scroll, and the scroll is Yuchasin um, lineage, gene- genealogy, right? But tracing people's lineages, and it was he found it in Jerusalem. Was written in it Ish Ploni Mamzer me'eshet Ish LaKayem Divri Rabbi and in that scroll there's an identity an identification of, you know, however many people, at least one person, that this was a Mamzer from. Uh, the adulterous union of meish, ish, mea, from a married woman, right, and that is specifically, you know, a capital pun- punishment crime, and so then presumably that detail, including that detail, is a support for the position of Rabbi Yoshua, who said that we only uh, apply the status of Mamzer when we have um, a, a court um, appointed uh, death sentence, right, or meaning that would have been applied. Ishto sh'meita mutar Gersha mutar So now we go back, and I, I imagine your data that in a different setup of the Mishnah, these are two different Mishnah, because it seems like that, um, that we've got here the case of a man whose wife died, Ishto sh'meita, she died, mutar He can then marry her sister. Gersha, the first... She dies, then also he's permitted to marry his sister, her sister, excuse me. I'm sorry, If she has married somebody else and then dies, he can the first husband can marry the sister. If the Yavama died, he can marry that Yavama's sister. If they've done a chalitza and she dies, then he can marry her sister. And if after chalitza she marries somebody else and then dies, again, he can marry the sister. Now, all of these really are, there's a concern of not marrying your wife's or your ex-wife's whatever, sister, but all of that only makes, is only I don't know, it's only upheld as a prohibition. Um, Excuse me. Oh, it's only upheld as a prohibition while that same woman remains alive. If she has died, then it doesn't matter that at some point this the sister was the sister of a wife who is no longer his wife, right? Either she's died, or she's been, you know been divorced and died, or Khalidza and died, Yavama died, right? All of these cases, all of the different ways she could have been in a relationship with that man, no longer matter. Once she has died, her sister is permitted to him or he is permitted to marry her sister.
1: Um, yeah, interesting Mishnah that I agree with you it does sort of seem to be like it's two Mishnah's there. Um so the Gemara here, and then we're actually gonna wrap up this parak, and tomorrow we'll start with a new parak. Uh, you know, first goes through its typical question of trying to figure out all the different reasons for Rabbi Akiva and uh for um uh Shimon had t- uh, Timani and then Rabbi Yoshua and just goes through the typical, you know, Midrash Halakha. Um, and then there follows afterwards. And then, you know, Abaye makes a very interesting point. I'm sort of summarizing some of this very quickly. I, uh, the Nida and the Sota sort of, uh, you know, that would not be a Mamzer because those women are actually under um, uh, Kedushin, like they are legitimately married. So a child from that union cannot be a monster, And they have a little bit of a disagreement, you know, question about the Shomer Yavam. What does that status actually mean? But I, what I want to jump down to is a little bit more about the scroll of, of lineage, <laughs> um, the scroll that they find, right? I'm a Rabbi Shimon Benazai, right? Tani, right? So here they uh, they taught in a brisa here that it elaborates on this a little bit more and expands. I found this scroll of lineage in Yerushalayim. And it said that this man was a mamzer because of uh, uh, because of a union with a married woman. But Now what's interesting is it adds two extra additional teachings to this scroll of Yerushalayim. Um, it has the teachings of uh, a, a teaching of Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov, right, measure that 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 a kav, right, only a kav are, are clean and accurate. So there's some type of teaching here about Rabbi Eliezer ben Yaakov and measurements and also that Manasseh, the king of Israel, actually killed, uh, killed Isha Yaakov. So what's interesting is, is the Gemara basically ignores this, you know, the first two statements of the Brisa and gets very interested in this whole thing about uh, Minasha and Yishayahu. And so I'm a Rabbah, so Rava comes and says, midan dania b'kaltle, right? So he says, Menashe judged Yishayahu um, and killed him. And what they basically then follows, and it, it's easy to understand, so I don't feel like I have to read it all in detail, is there were three statements of something that basically Moshe said, right? One is a quote of, from Moshe in Shemot, uh, and then one from Devarim, the second one is from Devarim, and the third one is from Shmote again. And then basically going back and saying that Yishayahu said something that was that that basically contradicted what uh what Moshe said. And based on that, that's why Minasha would kill him, uh, could kill Yishayahu. So Amar Yishayahu, right? So Yishayahu says, Yadana be deloma kabal madame lay. So Yishayau says, I know Menashe is not going to accept basically any explanation that I give him to resolve what seems to be a contradiction between what Moshe said and what I said. And if I try to explain it to him, then I'm actually going to have him that he's going to kill me because he will have heard the correct answer. He will have heard the resolution. And then it will be when he kills me. And at least this way, if I don't explain it to him, It'll just be a show gig because we'll say he didn't really understand; it was a mistake. Amar, right? So therefore, right, what did he do? He amar uh, shame ibale uh, ba'arza. So he says God's name, and he gets swallowed up within a tree. Tuye Arza right? And the Menashe's servers basically bring the tree and saw through it, right? Basically to kill Yeshayahu. Kima t'elah puma when the saw gets to his mouth. Right, Nachnafshay, then he leaves. And this is what the meaning of the pasuk in Yeshayahu is, uh, chapter six, verse five, which says, "In the midst of the people of unclean lips, I dwell." So the reason for this is, is what they explain here, is, is that Yeshayahu was actually punished because he referred to B'nai Israel as Am Temesfatayim, and so therefore he gets in trouble with his own speech. And that's why he gets killed, that even a prophet needed to be careful. I think this is interesting because we generally, when we think about prophecy, we try to think about is the prophet saying God's direct words or is it that the prophet gets some type of communication from God and then sort of expresses them in their own language? Proof that it's more the prophet expresses them in their own language and Nishayahu got in trouble for expressing something about Bnei Israel in a way that did not seem flattering uh, to Bnei Israel. Um, so very interesting sort of side story here about Menashe and Nishayahu that I felt we, we had to discuss. I think it raises some interesting questions about prophecy um, and, you know, how do the prophet, the language that the prophets use actually are important? Because the Gemara basically says clearly, like, he, he had to be punished for what, uh, for what he did here. Um, and before I finish up the paragraph, I just want to mention, um, you know, one other thing here. So the Gemara then basically goes through trying to explain... What actually, uh, what actually those resolutions, uh, what they actually are. Um, and there's a whole discussion about that. But I just want to end with the last line of this paragraph. So it talks about this piece of ishto shemeta, right? Um, Yvamato shemeta, right? The, the, the prohibition about one, you know, that you can't marry one's wife's sister, but if a man's wife died, he's permitted to his sister. And if his Yavama died, He's, per- married, he's permitted to the sister, okay? Mishnah so Rav Yosef comments here that this example, right, uh, that this here, this, this this whole idea of the prohibition about one's wife's sister and the fact that the prohibition exists only in the lifetime of one's wife, it's said explicitly in the Torah itself, and so there isn't really a chiddush uh, in this Mishnah here, and so Rav Yosef says, yeah, this was basically a Mishnah that wasn't actually necessary. So I just wanted to point this out. I always like when the Gemara makes sort of these meta comments. And we've seen a bunch of them in Yavamot, actually, which I think leads us to believe that the, there was something about the Mishnayos in Yevamot. So again, I think it's more than other Masachto. You know, either Rabbi Yochanan saying this is a Mishnah that wasn't, you know, isn't really a Mishnah that's in there. Now saying Rabbi made a Mishnah that was an unnecessary Mishnah. There's a lot of commentary in this Masachat about what Mishnahs are supposed to be in the Masachat itself that I find very interesting.
0: It is very interesting. And I think this is a good example of that. Um, That's our deaf discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff and our observations about the Mishnah out here if you want to. Uh, Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn.